0: This is the Photography Podcast on Photography.ca, episode number 110, Crash Course in Black and White Photography. Hey there, photo lovers. How's it going? And welcome to the 110th Photography Podcast on Photography.ca. My name is Marco, and as always, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. For today's show, we're actually coming to you from pretty close to Laurier Park. Uh, It's a busy area in the plateau of Montreal, so if you do hear some ambient noise, uh, it's because I'm hanging out near the park. For today's show, I'm actually going to try and give a crash course in black and white photography, and I'm going to tell you all the steps you're going to need to know, including actual things that you actually go through during the shooting, the development, and the printing in black and white photography. But before we get into it, I always like to thank people for their comments on our last podcast, number 109, where we featured flash tips with Joe McNally, and both uh, Michael Vandertal, um, who's really into Nikon's creative lighting system, um, and both uh, Lucille B. left comments, and it's uh, so greatly appreciated. Favourite way to get them is directly in the blog, photography.ca forward slash blog. So for today's show, I think I have a lot to talk about, so I'm going to get right into it now. And today's show comes courtesy of a suggestion by John Vales on our photography.ca Facebook page. And uh, he suggested that I talk about film photography in every podcast, and unfortunately, that's just not really what the podcast is about. It's just kind of touching on individual elements that make up photography versus um dedicating to one thing in particular sorry about that but in terms of the one thing in particular I'm gonna try and give you as much of a crash course as I can in black and white photography today and I'm hoping it's gonna take about 30 minutes and basically I'm gonna go through everything you need to do from buying a camera to the actual printing this should give you a very good base for what you're gonna need to know if you decide uh, to go through the printing the actual individual steps it's impossible to go through them all in an audio tape I mean you have to load film on a reel so I'm not going you know in detail how to load that film on a reel I'm just saying you have to load the film on a reel and it's gonna take practice etc etc you know because then it would take like three hours (laughs) you know this is really meant as a primer for someone that might be thinking of getting into black and white photography but has never tried it and wants to know the steps involved to see what the learning curve might be in advance and um, I dare say black and white photography is becoming more popular believe it or not you know I think it has to do with the uniqueness of each print there's something about hand manipulating a print running it through liquids and um, creating a finished piece of paper with a beautiful image on it there's something inherently beautiful and lovely and um, it's just a great craft and um, you know it's dying for most people but um, it's resurging for some so I thought I'd talk about it and I'm just gonna get right into it right now so first off you're gonna need to get a a camera and you're gonna need to get a film camera and um, these are the days of plenty because you can get tons of film cameras for dirt, dirt cheap. And before I continue, I'm actually going to put links in the show notes because uh, we've, we had a guest, John Meadows, on um, a few podcasts ago, number 108, and um, he talked a lot about black and white photography. So some of what I'm talking about today uh, is repeated from there, but it's in far more depth today. But, um, you know, if you're into the black and white, you should definitely listen to both. So I'm going to throw a link into the show notes. So anyway, you can buy cameras that are like from 50, 60 years old to, you know, just 10 years old or something like that, or even 12 years old you can still buy brand new film cameras at the end of the day it's actually the lens that's the most important part of your camera so you know there's no reason especially if you're just starting uh, to pay a lot of money for cameras you can get good cameras like um, pentax k1000 for under 100 bucks nikon fm2 for a couple of hundred bucks a canon ae1 under 100 bucks You know, when you can get even higher end models, like, um, you know, the high end models before the huge switch to digital, even those, you're gonna get like crazy good prices if you hunt around. You're gonna hunt around uh, Kijiji, Craigslist, eBay, Uh, Keh.com, K-E-H.com. I'll list all these in the show notes. Um, You know, those are the sites that you're gonna comb for these cameras. And uh, again, you're gonna wanna do research on the lenses because all the magic is in the lens. So my advice is get a cheap camera to start, something good, but cheap. Um, All manual, perfectly fine. In fact, recommend it. And maybe get yourself a 50 millimeter lens. Um, These lenses are again, under $100. They're typically very fast lenses, meaning you can use a wide aperture. So they come naturally with a wide aperture. So they're very fast. They're good in low light. They're great for street photography. Highly, highly, highly recommended. So there you go. You get a film camera, then you need film. So unlike digital photography, where you just press a button and decide what the ISO is or the sensitivity of the recording material is, um, in film photography, the uh, sensitivity is built onto the film itself. It comes in different film speeds, lower film speeds, typically for brighter light and higher film speeds, typically for lower light. And a lot of films have a specific characteristics. Uh, It might be the grain structure. It might be the contrast of the film. So every film has a little bit of character. Classic films are going to be Tri-X and T-Max, and you could also use film for like really really great effects so if you really want um like no grain in your film whatsoever you're going to really get a low iso film the lower the iso the lower the grain structure so if you don't want any grain at all get really really low but if you want to accentuate the grain get some you know fast film ilford delta 3200 i I used to use that film all the time for its grain structure and uh, i often used to boost the film to make it even grainier and uh, when you shoot certain subjects street scenes even portraits. It can add a really gritty effect, so don't be shy to play with grain effects with film. Now when we are talking film photography, in many ways it's the opposite of digital photography. In digital photography we have to be really, really careful not to clip the highlight detail, meaning the whites. So, because once we overexpose, once our whites lack detail, we can never get them back because um, nothing was recorded on the recording material. In a similar way, the shadows in film photography are deathly important. If you cannot capture shadow detail during exposure, It's dead and you can never get it back because no information was recorded. That's why um, in black and white photography, you should always err on the side of um, underexposure by overexposing a little bit. And that's what a lot of photographers um, that I know, including myself, used to do regularly. So if the film was rated at uh, 3,200, we might actually shoot it at uh, 1,600. Or to make it easier, if the film was, uh, you know, a 400 film, maybe we would uh, rate it at 320 or something like this, or 250, something like this, just to give it a little bit of extra exposure latitude. Now, I should say that film photography is uh, very tolerant of uh, mistakes on the overexposure side, but not the underexposure side. So that's why, you know, if you're always going to err, err on the overexposure side by um, adding exposure into the scene versus not doing it. Once you get really, really good with your metering and you develop a precise metering system, you know, feel free to do whatever you want. But as a general rule, many photographers that I know, including those that still shoot today, will deliberately overexpose their film by about one-third of a stop to two-thirds of a stop going in. Just something to keep in the back of your mind. And the reason that this is, and we're going to start to talk about developing the film actually, and the reason this is, is because when you develop the film, the, the actual shadows develop first in a developing tank, and we're going to get into it, and the highlights develop last. So you could actually control the highlights a little bit by the way you develop it, but you first have to get that shadow detail. And if, if you don't have enough exposure, it ain't gonna be there. Metering is gonna be done the same way. You can meter off a gray card. You can, if it's a normal scene, your camera meter should work very, very well. You wanna get the best tonal range on your film or on your recording material. And uh, by doing that, you will actually make prints that are gonna be uh, much richer and much better. So, you know, these are things that we have to uh, be aware of. So, you know, as long as we meter proper we're pretty, pretty good. And like I said, the film is pretty tolerant of overexposure. So now how do we develop the film? You know, we've taken we've taken the photo. We can't see it, unfortunately. We have to actually develop it. And we can develop it ourselves or we could send it to a lab. Um, if you send it to a lab, you're going to get back, you know, a strip of negatives and you can even have them make a contact shoot for you. I'm going to actually go into how to do this in this very podcast, of course. But, you know, that is an option. You can skip the whole development process. But at the end of the day, all development is 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 you have to take your film out of the little canister in a completely pitch-black room it's not as difficult as it sounds you just take a can opener you pop open the film and then you remove the um, the film from the canister in complete darkness, and what you're going to do is you're going to have to load this film onto a type of reel. You're going to like cut off the uh, ends of the film from the spool, and you'll just be able to feel this. And there's some extra slack on both ends, so chances are you won't get fingerprints all over everything. Um, you know, it just takes some practice, and uh, you can easily practice in the day. Just get like you know a roll of already exposed film, you know, or blow three bucks and just open it up blank, and just try loading it onto a reel. And it's really not that difficult. I'm going to throw some links into a show notes, so I'm. Sure Sure I could find a YouTube video or something like this on, on how to actually load it but it's really not that difficult and that's really the only step that needs to be done in the darkness so you know you take the film out of the film canister you load it onto that reel and you put that reel into a canister and once you seal that canister you can turn on the room lights and the rest of the process is done under room lighting. And basically all this really entails is dumping developer liquid, dumping stop bath liquid, and dumping fixer liquid and possibly hypo clear liquid just in succession into this canister while Agitating, and at the end of it, you just wash it off, and you pull out your film. Really, not that difficult. It's really um, a mechanical process. It's it's a very mechanical process, and once you get into it, you get into it. You put on music. It's kind of fun. You watch the film. It's really lovely to look at the. uh, It's really lovely to look at the film uh, once it's completely you know once it's already been washed then you can manipulate a little bit And you hold it up to the light and you could see all of those lovely tones um, inside uh, inside the actual film but uh, like I said at the end of the day it's just dumping liquids in succession you know I, I don't need to tell you you know how many minutes to do this or that you know it might be five six minutes for the development or up to even 20 minutes on the development end you know just to develop the film uh, depending on the developer that you use there's gonna be different developers they're all gonna come with instructions and you're just gonna follow them the developer is gonna be the uh, normal the longest process you know you'll use the stop bath to stop the development and then you'll use the fixing liquid to keep the image uh, permanently on the uh, on, on the film, and then you'll just wash off the fixer with water for a few minutes. You'll use another agent to make sure that the film is completely clear, called a hypo-clear wash again. And that's really all there is to it. You know, it's just mechanical. Now, the thing that you have to know is that the contrast of your film is partially uh, determined during the development stage. So this is where, you know, if it was very, very, very bright, you are gonna reduce the normal development time. And this is because the shadows develop first, then the midtones develop. This is all during the development stage when you put the developer in the canister. So the midtones develop second, and then last are the highlights that are developed. So if we actually cut the development early, so let's say whatever, it was 10 minutes, but it was a very, 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 very bright day, and we cut the development to nine minutes, well, in that way, we are controlling the contrast of the development, and this will yield a richer print on the opposite end. If um, if it was a very low contrast day, we can choose to boost the development time to um, more than normal and those instructions will be uh, listed on the developing um, instructions. Uh, so you just have to follow them. Like I said, it's very, very, very mechanical, but in the development itself, you can then control the contrast. Once your film has been washed for the proper amount of time, you are going to hang it dry. You can use clothespins on a piece of cord running through your office and then maybe a bulldog clip on the end just to hold it down so it dries uh, nice and straight versus curling. Once it's dry, just lay it flat on a nice clean surface. You will cut the eggs into strips of five or six and put them into corresponding uh, negative sleeve holders that can hold five or six. And that's really the developing end and you're done. And now that we've talked a little bit about the developing process, just let me reiterate how important this developing process is. It's so important that Ansel Adams called it the score. So he has a whole book called The Negative, and um, I highly recommend you read it. Um, it's one that I've read, it's one that I keep, it's a treasured book, and it's fab. And a lot of what you learn in film photography is also applicable to film photography. So definitely a good read. Anyway, The Negative is is really important because the performance depends on what was recorded. So. Again, the, uh, the actual recording of the tones and the controlling of contrast is pretty important. You could have a lab do it for you, you could do it yourself, but it's really important. Now let's talk about uh, the actual printing. Now the printing for me is where the magic happens. Of course you need to have the best neg possible, or as good a neg as you can get. But for me, ultimately, you can rescue a bad neg, you can't rescue a bad print. Because the print is, is the final instrument, right? So if the print is bad, the print is bad. If the neg is bad, you might be able to save it in good printing. So anyway, the printing is really, really key. And it's really not that difficult. But, like anything else, it, it just takes practice. But there is something beautiful about producing your own print. Really is, really is. You don't need that much equipment. You need some, but because so many people have gone digital, you could pick up full darkroom sets for like next to nothing. You know, go to garage sales, look at like Kijiji or Craigslist or any of these very social classified ad sites on the internet that are uh, local to, to where you live. And you may well find used equipment for next to nothing. I unfortunately had to give away my enlarger like uh, two years ago. I tried to sell it. I couldn't get any money for it whatsoever. And I couldn't take it with me. At the end of the day, I took some final pictures with it. And it just it went to the recycling bin. It's, it's terrible. But... It's just to say that if you're interested, you can often find a uh, great friggin' deals. KEH.com is a great site uh, for used film supplies. So, um, you know, that's recommended. I'll put that link in the show notes, even though it's easy to remember. Uh, so, ba- so basically, you know, for a few hundred bucks, you could basically really equip yourself and get yourself a really kick butt enlarger and have some major fun. So what do you need? You need an enlarger, you know, and all an enlarger does is shine light through your negative, through a lens onto some light sensitive photo paper. And then you run that paper through liquids and then you have a print. That's all an enlarger is and does. So with the enlarger you will need a negative carrier And this is the actual um, apparatus that holds your negative in place. You will need a negative carrier. It's usually made of metal. What else will you need? You will need a grain focuser because you are gonna focus on the grain itself. You know, uh, with your enlarger comes an enlarging lens. And in order to determine focus, you actually locate the grain that's on the negative um, by using a grain finder. And which is just, it looks kind of like a microscope. I don't know, 20, 25 bucks, something like that. Maybe $1 in a garage sale these days. Is. you need an easel to hold your paper straight uh you know you need uh, an enlarging table you know the enlarger has to sit on some table you also need a dark room so you need a room that you could kind of sequester from light um if you're lucky enough to be able to do it in a bathroom that might be pretty cool because it has uh, a ventilator usually fans are pretty important i mean I'll be honest i've don't recommend it, but years ago I, I worked a number of years just in like a bedroom with no fan. But later on I always worked uh, in dark rooms, including my own dark room that I equip with a fan. So a fan is a real good one. If you uh, don't have a room with ventilation, a bathroom is, or a bigger bathroom, or you make do with what you have. But you basically need a space where you could block out all light whatsoever, and uh, you're, you're going to be uh, working just with a little red light that fits in one of these old fashioned light stands, or you could find some switch mechanism in a hardware store for like next to nothing. And that's really the dry part of the room. So you have a wet part of the room and you have a dry part of the room. To recap, you need an enlarger, you need a negative carrier, you need a lens to go with that enlarger. Hopefully, it'll come with it. Uh, you're going to need an easel, and you're going to need a timer. That's true, too. You need a timer. So um, some enlargers come equipped with a timer built in, and some come with external timers. Again, you can find them on K.com. Obviously, the light-sensitive paper has to be exposed for a very specific amount of time, and that's why you need the timer. And that's basic development. But where we last left off, we had um, film that we put in negative holders. Now, what are we going to do? We're going to take that film strip, and we will have bought some uh, photo paper. You know, I recommend RC paper. It's thinner paper, and it's easier to process at first. Fiber-based paper is very rich, gorgeous paper, but it's longer to work with. It's way more expensive, and um, I don't recommend it for learning. I recommend using RC prints for learning and... Um, fiber-based prints as you get better and you really want a meaty uh, print. Anyway, so you take um, RC-coated paper and you put the negative sleeve with all the negatives on top of that uh, RC paper. Usually they come in sizes like 8x10. The negative sheet should fit on that 8x10 piece of paper. So you place the actual sleeve of negatives onto the light-sensitive paper and that's under your enlarger, of course. Uh, your lens will be set to f8, let's say, f8 to start. And then you will also have to buy a piece of glass. Now, that piece of glass should be clear glass, no scratches. You can get it at any glass shop. Spend, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine dollars. Make it a eight by 10 size or just slightly larger, maybe a nine by 11 on two sides, something like that. Anyway, that glass is going to sandwich the negative sleeve uh, between the photographic paper. And then basically what you're going to do is you're going to take a black piece of paper and you're just going to move it from left to right, or right to left, what have you, through the negative while you turn the enlarger on, let's say for two seconds. So basically, you start off with the paper covered, with a black sheet of paper, and then let's say you move it one inch to the right, and you put on the enlarger for two seconds then you move it another inch to the right and then you put on the enlarger for 2 seconds and then you put it another inch to the right and you put on the enlarger for two seconds and then you put it another inch to the right, let's say and you put on the enlarger for two seconds. So the first part um, got all of that exposure and then as you move toward the right each strip got successively less exposure Then you take that piece of paper and you're going to run it through the wet side of your darkroom. And basically the wet side of your darkroom is going to be comprised again of developing liquid, which is going to develop the image on the paper, a stop bath, which is going to stop the development, a fixer, which is going to fix the image onto the paper. Then you're going to wash it. Then you're going to hypo clear it, which is just to clean it up a little more easily. And then you'll give it a final wash and you'll know exactly how long it's going to need to be in the developer. It'll say on the bottle and and on the stop bath, it'll say on the stop bath and on the Fixer, it'll stay on the fixer all the instructions are going to be on the chemicals themselves and I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you could buy all these products and one kit and where to go etc etc this is just again just to give you a general overview to see if you want to attempt this but anyway uh, you're just going to run it through all of those liquids and then at the end of the day you're going to have a print that's going to be um, you'll squeegee it dry and you could look at prints uh, wet, especially a contact print it doesn't have to be completely dry after the paper is uh, properly washed you have a flat board and a squeegee and you just squeegee the water off and then you can uh, let the contact print air dry or if you have a uh a a hair blower you could actually uh, force it uh, dry really quickly which is something i used to do for contact sheets for actual prints the good stuff you want to let it dry naturally at least uh, i did all the time but for contact sheets uh, i just want to speed it up you know see you know see exactly what the exposure with what the the proper uh, exposure is and move on so anywho once it's been uh, washed for the proper amount of time and you've squeegeed it and now you're inspecting it all you need to do is look for the area that um you know has the white with some detail You know, uh, you know, you had a section exposed for two seconds, four seconds, six seconds and eight seconds. And hopefully you have some white with detail. If you don't, you're going to need to do it a little longer. So if you went for eight seconds and you still have no detail in the whites, then you may want to start at like 12 seconds and then go, let's say 15 seconds, and then let's say go 18 seconds and let's say go 24 seconds in the exact same way, revealing uh, different portions of your paper, you know, inch by inch kind of thing or inch and a half by inch and a half. And that way you gauge the exposure. for the white now for the blacks the blacks are controlled with actual filters and uh, these are actually going to be plasticky things that either go underneath the lens or they actually go in between the enlargers bulb and the rest of the enlargers mechanism so you're also going to need these plastic filters and these filters are going to control the contrast so the actual time controls the white and the actual filters controls the contrast and these filters are gonna go from, let's say, zero to five, and zero is the lowest contrast and five is the highest contrast. So let's say, you know, you're looking at your contact uh, sheet test strip and you see it looks good at eight seconds, but the black is a bit weak And you've started, let's say at the middle filter, which is two and a half, let's say. So now you just need to put in a higher number. Maybe it's three, maybe it's three and a half. And then um, when you expose it for, you know, let's say it was eight seconds that gave you the detail, that eight seconds now, the black should also be very, very reasonable. And then since you know that that's the correct exposure, then you take another full sheet and you set your timer for that exact exposure. Let's say it was eight seconds. And let's say you did need a three and a half filter to get a rich black. You put a 3.5 filter in the enlarger, you um, expose that paper for 8 seconds, and then you run it through your liquids, and then you have a contact sheet of all your negs. And then once that contact sheet is dry, and you inspect those negs for exposure composition, and you decide which ones you want to print. I'm going to put some links in show notes of what a normal neg looks like, and what an overexposed neg looks like, and what an underexposed neg looks like. Again, um, you want to have the fullest range of tones possible. So if it's too light, it's probably uh, underexposed, and if it's too dark, it's probably overexposed. And if it's just right it's probably super tasty and it'll print well so now that we've gone over how to make the contact print let us actually go over how to make an actual print so it's done in pretty much the same way except this time we actually need to use a negative carrier so a negative carrier is just a metallic device that accepts a strip of negatives and uh, the opening is such that it only exposes one of the strips. So if your strip had uh, five frames, you will just, you know, move, you'll physically move the uh, strip of negatives through the negative carrier, and you'll align the exposed neg properly, the one that you want to, to print, and you will then load that negative carrier into the enlarger, and now it's time to do, you're not taking out uh, any paper yet. Now what you're gonna do is you're gonna have like an old sheet of paper that you will, it's just maybe a blank sheet, that you will have run through the fixer without being exposed. So it's white. So this way, um, when you turn the enlarger on, you can actually see your image. You will focus the enlarger and you will be able to see a focused image on that white piece of paper. Now to determine that it's in perfect focus, this is where you're going to need to use this uh, grain focuser that I was talking about uh, maybe a few minutes ago. The enlarger basically goes up and down and when it's in precisely, and you control it with your hand, and when it's in precisely the right position, you will be able to see the grain structure of the, um, of the negative. So you use this grain focuser that sits on the white piece of paper that's reflecting the image that's being shone on it because the light is shining through the negative. So it's, so it's producing a negative image onto that paper. And um, by adjusting the enlarger again, you can see the grain structure. Once you can see the grain structure, it's in focus. Then in a similar way you take out that white piece of paper and now what you're gonna do is you're gonna take a test strip. So you're gonna actually take one piece of 8x10 paper or something like that, you'll cut it into five or six strips and you're gonna run it, let's say uh, horizontally or diagonally along where that reflected image was. By now, just so it's clear, the actual enlargement part, this is all done uh, in the dark. You have a red light, which you need to keep far enough away from your enlarger so that it's just dim enough to see very faint shadows. You're going to be working that type of darkness just so you know anyway you will shine the enlarger on that uh, piece of paper that was that had gone through the fixer already and then so you know approximately where it will line up in your easel um you can raise the enlarger and that, and that kind of acts like cropping the photo actually so the higher you raise the enlarger the more the photo will be cropped so if you want the full image it'll be at a certain height if you want to crop it it'll be higher uh, if you want a lot of space around your image you can move it lower There's quite a lot of uh, ways to play, but at the end of the day, you just want to determine the correct exposure. You will run a test strip diagonally or uh, horizontally across uh, where the image will be. And again, you'll take a black piece of paper and you will reveal sections of it for let's say two seconds at a time or four seconds at a time, or let's say five seconds on a time. You'll get into what the time should be for you. Once you've made that test strip, you know, expose two seconds, four seconds, um, eight seconds, uh, 10 seconds, etc. cetera. Um, then you run that uh, strip through the developing liquids again, the developer, the stop bath, the fixer. You wash it really quickly. This doesn't have to be the biggest wash because it's just a test strip. And then you look again to see where the whites have tone. At what amount of seconds do the whites have tone? And uh, that's going to be the correct amount to put in your timer. And then for the black, you're gonna need to judge the blacks with the filters. So if you don't have a rich black, you're gonna make the uh, filter number higher. Let's say you started at a two and a half, you know, you will make it higher, three, three and a half. And let's say the black is already too dark. You're just gonna lower it, let's say to a two or a one and a half, et cetera. And that way you know what the exposure should be for the whole image. So next time you're gonna do a full print and now you're really gonna to wanna to wash and test properly. You're gonna run it through the right amount of time. You're gonna wash it. You know it might still be a preliminary print because you might not be sure about the times you could wash it a little bit faster let's say but there you're really going to see if the whites have tone and if the blacks are rich enough again the blacks are controlled by the filter and the whites are controlled only by the amount of time that the enlarger is actually on So not that difficult what you're going to find is is you're going to have one general time that's going to be the overall exposure and then there's going to be certain specific places that are going to need to be burned in they need more exposure or they're going to be dodged they're going to need less exposure. So basically you're looking for the overall exposure when you make your first print and then you're going to dodge and burn during the actual exposure. And dodging and burning is very simple. Basically, um, to burn, you're just going to take a black piece of paper with a hole cut out. And you're going to need to be doing testing. So let's say there was a sky in your image, but everything else in the image looked good at like uh, 15 seconds. The sky might need an extra 10 seconds. So once you've done your main exposure, you could turn the enlarger on again. And you could guide light through the hole so that it only goes on a specific part of the paper. That's burning in. In a similar way, let's say you had a tree, and it was in the earth, and the earth had a lot of very, very dark shadows, and you wanna bring out that shadow detail. If it's really, really dark at your main exposure time, then you could basically take a coat hanger, and you could take a piece of black construction paper, and you make yourself, you know, uh, like a 50 cent, a quarter-sized one, or a 50 cent-sized one. So let's say the, the earth was very, very dark. During the actual exposure, you could run this wand, almost, through the through the area that's too dark and that will reveal the shadow detail and just so you know as far as I'm concerned every single print needs dodging and burning and it's just that simple and I'm a huge fan of dodging and burning all the excellent masters as well dodged and burned not that I'm a master in any way, but I do like to try hard, and dodging and burning is part of trying hard. Ansel Adams dodged and burned meticulously. He often said, I believe, like, 12 good prints a year, uh, you're rocking, You know, that's how meticulous he was. That's how meticulously he controlled the shadow details and the highlight details. And how meticulously he wanted um, those tones to, to appear, and how he wanted the tonal range to be present in all his prints, he worked like the Dickens. So this is not excessively hard stuff at all it just takes some practice and it takes some time you know and there's so many other things you can also do in the dark room you know after you've completely printed a print you can actually tone the print so you can make it sepia toned, and you're running it again through liquids that are gonna make it brownish or bluish or goldish or selenium toning which is a great preservative and sometimes has a slight purpley hue there's just so much to do and there's so many ways to to make the print your own. And really it's a little different in digital in that every print you make is gonna be slightly, slightly different. It's gonna be nearly impossible if you're dodging and burning in particular. Um, if you're just running it through the enlarger at X time all the time, your prints are gonna look very, very, very similar. But when you get into a lot of dodging and burning, That's where all of the magic happens as far as I'm concerned. And uh, that's where the craft and skill really, really, really shine through. No two prints are going to be the same. Something I used to do after printing, I used to actually paint those prints. And this is something that I have not found uh, to be really easy during uh, using digital at all. Um, I actually would use Marshall oils to... Apply paint onto the actual black and white photograph, and it gives it a whole other lovely, lovely, lovely look. So, anyway, I hope people weren't too lost there. Obviously, you can't learn the craft of you know photography from a 30 to 40 minute podcast, but you can get an idea of the basics of what's required, and um, and get an idea of the learning curve involved. And that was really my goal here. So uh, I really hoped it helped some people and I really hope it didn't bore the heck out of too many people. And I know I've said quite a lot already, but I'm a huge fan of black and white photography. So if at any time you, know, you have any questions or comments, you can shoot them to me, uh, photography.ca at gmail.com. You could just post directly on the blog, photography.ca forward slash blog. You could join our really friendly forum and post some stuff and we could talk digital photography or black and white photography. It's all good and I, I hope some of you uh, really try it. In terms of assignments for the forum this month, we just put them up. Our regular assignment is gonna be circles. So you could take some interesting shots of circles, get your creative thinking caps on. And our level two assignment is gonna be self portraits in the mirror. So we're looking for self-portraits of you taken in a mirror and again um, lots of latitude for creativity here so I do hope uh, people post more than once. If you like this podcast and you want to get it automatically, uh, clicking the links on photography.ca forward slash blog will um, get you an iTunes subscription that way every time we put one of these suckers out and you open up iTunes it'll come to you automatically. Thanks so much for listening everyone. I hope it maybe did inspire a few people to uh, try their hand at black and white and if you do and you stick with it for a little bit I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy But whether you decide to try black and white or not, the most important thing is just keep on shooting. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks so much for listening.